Welcome to futureofuschinatrade.com. I'm Molly Castellazzo. I recently spoke with Professor Gong Chao, Director of Columbia Global Centers East Asia in Beijing. We spoke about his vision of the future of trade between China and the United States. He explained that the enormous productivity gains that China has been realizing as it transitions from agriculture to industry have put incredible upward pressure on interest rates, inflation, and exchange rates. Chinese policymakers have responded by fixing those rates, a solution Professor Chow says is unsustainable. Now to our telephone conversation. In the free trade scenario, Bob Middlestadt imagines a future of, of really unfettered trade where China and the U.S. compete on their comparative advantages. And in the America Competes scenario, Clyde Prestowitz imagines a future where America really takes a competitiveness stance and uh, China then switches its growth model to one based on, on domestic demand. And then in the final scenario, Convergence, Art Blakemore um, envisions a future in which the U.S. continues to grow on trend uh, really at at the frontier of technological progress and China continues to catch up. So generally, what are your thoughts on, on those imaginations of the future? Uh, I, I think uh, uh, the, uh, well, I think the basic uh, story is that uh, uh, China uh, is catching up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look at the productivity, uh, absolute level of productivity, uh, the U.S. Uh, is much higher than China. Right. Okay. So that uh, that's the background. background. Uh, uh, so uh, as China... Uh, catching up, uh, its wage will have to go, uh, go up, uh, and uh, uh, that's part of the productivity uh, convergency. Uh, and uh, also, uh, the price of capital, the price of land, and even the price of um, raw materials will also go up. Uh, and this is not just because. China, uh, because of China, uh, it's because uh, uh, the whole world, uh, uh, basically the 80% of the population outside of uh, already developed Western economies uh, are right now catching up. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I guess that uh, is really the, the background. So we are uh, facing with, I would say, uh, really convergency on uh, a global uh, scale. Uh, it, it, it's basically uh, the convergency uh, under uh, the industrialized uh, modern economy, you know, in, in, under, in the context of uh, uh, industrial uh, you know, uh, society mm-hmm. uh, as compared to uh, agriculture uh, society, agriculture civilization, you know. Uh, you know, during, during the agriculture civilization, basically the whole world converged to traditional farming. Uh, 
So, so we, we, we have seen convergency of living standards, income levels you know, around the world during those, uh, those periods. Uh, uh, and uh, during that uh, period, uh, China actually uh, was very uh, advanced and was actually leading uh, uh, you know, the, the global economy. Right. Uh, and because of the population, China uh, uh, was one of the largest okay. economies. Right. So, so if we see it that way, uh, uh, I think the convergent story in the longer term it, it's uh, uh, much more convincing and uh, uh, more likely. Uh, it, it, it's basically, uh, uh, you know, the, the today's technology allows, uh, you know, most people in the world you know, uh, to have a, a standard of living. You know, which is compatible to our uh, modern technology. You know, basically you have a decent, uh, you know, uh, living standard. You know, including housing, you know, and uh, other, you know, food, uh, clothing, mm-hmm. and other things. You know, which you, you know, under, uh, the, the industrial civilization. You know, this is not entirely possible. You know, in terms of technology, right? So the question is, why? Uh, you know, we are seeing this convergence you know, already. You know, we, if you go to China, you see the major cities. Uh, the living stands there are very much similar to other major cities. You know, in uh, developed uh, economy, right? Uh, big cities, yeah. right? So that that's already. Uh, if you look at the big cities, the convergence is already happening, right? You look at the Shanghai, look at the Beijing, yeah, uh, and look at the housing price. Yeah, uh, they are even higher than uh, in some of the American cities. Uh, and you look at the uh, their skilled uh, labor. You know their income is converging. Right. Right. Uh, uh, but the, the big question is that the, uh, the for the unskilled labor. You know, they, they, they are really uh, the major, uh, what we call non-tradables, you know, the, the unskilled labor service are non-tradable. Uh, uh, in the sense that uh, you cannot, uh, uh, if you live in New York, you know, you cannot, uh, uh, I mean, a lot of this, uh, like haircuts, you know, those services you can only, you know, consume in New York. You cannot fly to Beijing, you know, to have your haircuts in Beijing, right? Right. So in that sense, the, uh, a lot of non-tradable prices uh, are still, uh, you know, having very big gaps across, uh, you know, the major uh, cities. Uh, uh, and that's the big problem, you know, which, which means that, uh, uh, for example, the employment problem in, in the U.S., uh, it, 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 the major problem is for the unskilled labor mm-hmm. there, you know. And uh, for uh, and uh, also the same thing with migrant workers in China. Uh, they they are non-tradable uh, kind of uh, uh, you know uh, human resources. Uh, and, and so so when you see the convergence uh, in uh, the modern sector uh, and in the skill, for the skilled labor. Uh, uh, and at the same time, you see this big divergence, big wage gaps, you know, across the country, and even within country across the region, mm-hmm. across cities. 
Now it's it's so, my it, it's my impression that there has been really a an enormous shift of of workers from rural areas in China into to cities to work in in factories and and they're making you know they're not necessarily making um high technology products but where do those kinds of workers fit within the picture that that you're describing uh yes that that that's the uh, uh the major uh actually barrier to the convergence you know you 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 got uh, you got this huge uh, migrant workers, you know, you know, uh, unskilled laborers in China, uh, they, uh, I mean, they, they have a problem because they, uh, they, their wages are so low, uh, and uh, they uh, earn like uh, only two two hundred US dollars a month. Right. And uh, they, uh, with that kind of income, they uh, just cannot live uh, in the cities. To raise their kids, you know, mm-hmm. to have good education for their kids. So basically, what they do is that they earn some money and then they, uh, uh, you know, send their kids back to villages, you know, where the cost of living still is very low. Uh-huh. Ah. So they, uh, and then because of uh, those regions, uh, the education uh, system uh, is. It, much worse than in the cities. So those kids, when they grow up, they're still, uh, they still would become unskilled labor again. So you, it's like a trap. Okay. You know. So so that uh, that trap, you know, if, if the uh, Chinese economic development cannot, uh, you know, break this trap, you know, cannot allow these people to really settle in the cities and get good education and become skilled labor, then. Uh, there would be a problem because these people were stuck in, in you know in this low scale you know, uh, you know remote rural area and uh, uh, eventually it would become a problem it would become a burden you know for for China and also for the whole world you know because they they are low wage uh, then becomes a, a, a kind of uh, low cost uh, I mean input to low cost product right right and that could become the problem, you know, because then you, you, you got a lot of these cheap exports, you know, which, you, uh, you know, uh, most of them are very labor intensive, you know, using very low, uh, you know, uh, wage labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that becomes a huge contrast to the high uh, wage, you know, in uh, 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 developed economies like the United States. Uh, and even for unskilled uh, work right. in the United States, you know, the wage is so high, right? And, uh, uh, and of course, there, there will be tendency for uh, companies in the United States to uh, outsourcing, so the low, uh, uh, you know, low-cost labor uh, outside of the United States can produce cheaply, you know, the, uh, some of the labor-intensive products, right? So this could become a political problem. Although the process actually uh, is beneficial to uh, most American people, right? You know, yeah, and uh, it's also benefiting to uh, uh, 
the Chinese uh, migrant workers so they mm -hmm. can find a job, you know, yeah. so they, they have chance to get out of the extreme poverty, you know, uh, and uh, maybe uh, become uh, uh, settled in the cities. Uh, so that's why the, uh, I think that the development in China, especially urbanization, uh, is extremely important because urbanization uh, would help these migrant workers settle, you know, in the uh, big cities, in Chinese cities. Uh, so they will not, uh, they, I mean, they can get out of the track of this uh, low wage, low living stands, you know, and uh, kind of trap. Uh, and, and, and then uh, the productivities uh, in China can uh, uh, rise even uh, faster, so reduce this kind of uh, competitive uh, kind of gap, you know, between uh, uh, unskilled uh, laborers uh, in the two countries. Right. Explain a little bit how how urbanization will make it easier for migrant workers to settle in the cities? Is it just the fact that there are more places for migrant workers to live? Uh, I think that the, the key is for uh, these people, for migrant workers, uh, you know, they, they, they can uh, stay in the cities so to allow their kids to get a good education. So the next generation will have a Never playing, you know, right. ground, right? And that I think is more important than, uh, you know, uh, uh, other uh, policies which you uh, trying to subsidize or you know, uh, you know, help the, the migrant workers to uh, uh, increase their wage because the wage is basically determined by the market. Uh, and what what I think is most important is that the, the government should provide. The, uh, facilities for this, this migrant worker to live in the cities and also allow their kids to enter schools, you know, in the cities. I see. That, yeah, I think that, that, that that's key because actually providing housing, basic housing for migrant workers is not going to cost a lot, you know, given today's technology. You know, you can, but just like in Hong Kong, you can build to these high-rise buildings, you know, with quite cheap government. Uh, support, uh, but the key is to allow these people actually live in the cities because cities has much better uh, infrastructure, much better schools. Right. And their kids, if you give them opportunities, these poor kids, you know, uh, from poor families, you know, they work very hard, uh, and they, they uh, a lot of them, they, they can get very good, uh, you know, grades, you know, and they can get into colleges, and then they can get out of this uh, you know, poverty trap. Okay, so it it sounds like then that if if the government were to to subsidize housing, for example, to allow the migrant workers to live in the cities and send their children to school in the cities, then wages even for for those lower skilled workers rise. Is that is that right? Yes, that that's actually uh, the most important trend. Uh, uh, the most important trend in uh, developing countries in the emerging market is the uh, rise of wage. Mm -hmm. 
because uh, as these people, you know, this migrant worker, poor, uh, you know, peasants, they become workers living in the cities, their productivity will increase and their wage will increase. So uh, we will see, uh, you know, a structural inflation, what I call structural inflation. Okay. And this, this inflation is not like a traditional monetary inflation. It is basically uh, a price adjustment, relative price adjustment. It is a, a very normal, uh, you know, productivity-driven uh, convergence of wage you know, okay. between, uh, you know, developing country and the developed country. It's a very healthy uh, phenomenon, and that's what everybody would love to see. You know, right. uh, of course, the, the Chinese migrant worker would like to see their wage increase. Sure, you know, sure. increase. Yeah, and the American people also, you know, because when the wage is increasing, it's very much like uh, the currency will have real appreciation. Chinese products will get more expensive, so the the, the exports will reduce, you know, and the and Chinese people will have more money to buy American products. Right. The imports into China, you know, from America, you know, will increase. So, so really that's what everybody loves to see, you know, I mean, it, it, what we need to encourage and create is a process that the, the Chinese wage can grow, you know, very fast uh, and basically generating what I call structural inflation. Now, yeah. in your, in the article that you sent over, um, published in the East Asia Forum, you say that inflation can cause distortion, shocks, and in income re re distribution that policymakers will have to mitigate. What, yes, because, what, yeah. what does that look like? Yeah. Okay, because uh, what I uh, mentioned, you know, because of this uh, structural inflation, uh, if the normal interest rate uh, does not uh, catch up with the inflation rate, then we, we will have a serious distortion, you know, because we, uh, because you have a, a inflation of non-tradables, including non-tradable uh, labor service and also non-tradable like a property, you know. So those inflation uh, it's going to continue. Uh, not just, just for a few months, you know, they're going to continue for a few decades Okay. Uh, as, as part of the development. So during those decades, you know, if, uh, during those decades, uh, because of the inflation, uh, what can I call structural inflation, the, the return on investment is very high. Mm -hmm. You know, the return on capital in this emerging market are extremely high. Uh, and I did a calculation like uh, in China during the last 30 years, the return on investment is like 20% compared to like only 10% during the last 30 years in Japan and like it's only 5% in, uh, in the United States. Right. And this is the, the, the average investment, average aggregate investment. Yeah. So, so given this high return on investment, you need to have a very high interest rate, you know. So, so uh, because the inflation is high, uh, you know, the return is high, normal return on investment is high. 
So you need to make sure the interest rate, the uh, government need to make sure the normal interest rate uh, is compatible with inflation rate and return on the capital mm-hmm. investment. And if you do not do that, then you, uh, uh, you would have a huge distortion to create a, a, what I call a negative real interest rate situation. Okay. You know? And that's exactly what we are seeing, you know, today in China. You know, the uh, nominal rate on deposit, you know, nominal interest rate on deposit is like a 1%. Uh, uh, mortgage is only like a 6%. But uh, if you buy property, last 20 years, every year, you know, average return is like more than 9%. Uh, so uh, obviously, you know, uh, people would want to buy property, you know, and uh, because you, you, you will see uh, uh, inflation in the future, right? So, uh, but the, the problem is that the, the, the rich people can afford to buy property, right. can afford to borrow from the bank, right? And the poor people cannot afford to buy property, so they actually put money in the bank, uh-huh. trying to you know accumulate enough money so they can pay the down payment. Ah. Uh, so you can see that uh, that this is a huge transfer transfer right. of wealth from the poor people, uh, you know, put money and deposit to the people who borrow heavily from the banking system to buy and speculating on property. Uh, so this is generating a huge social problems and huge economic distortions. Uh, and uh, it's happening in China right now. Yeah. Now, is there uh, the political will in China for the government to raise interest rates? Very, very difficult. You yeah. know, because like all other government, uh, no government want to raise interest rates. No government want to lower interest rate to stimulate the economy. Uh, because when you, if you try to raise interest rate, it's going to hurt stock market. It's going to hurt the property market. It's going to hurt, in China in particular, the state-owned enterprises. Mm-hmm. Because they borrow heavily from the banking system. I see. It's also going to hurt the local government. Because they also borrow heavily you know, from the banking system. Right, and uh, if you raise interest rate, it's going to expose the cost of capital, the cost of investment. Yeah, uh, so it's really difficult. And I think the same thing applies to the situation in the U.S. You know, in the U.S., no, I mean, no one wants to raise interest rate now. No. You know, right? But in fact, you know, the the interest rate is, is too low, right? It's, 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 you know, remember the reason U.S., you know, uh, the reason U.S. had the, the housing bubble was because the interest rate was low. Right. Right? And, and uh, actually the low interest rate uh, may not necessarily generate investment. Right. Right? But if it, it, it sounds like... A policy, you know, policies that would raise the interest rate are really critical to to mitigating these distortions that you talk about. 
if there isn't the political will to do that, what does what does the future look like then? Well, uh, I think uh, uh, you know the, the consequences that uh, uh, you know the, you you will get this uh, very volatile uh, cycle. You know, in China, I mean, it's like this for the last 30 years. You know, when the government tried to tighten, then the economy went down, you know, it's like a, uh, uh, and then when the government start to, uh, you know, see the, the, the problem, the economy is collapsing, then they, they would like to stimulate again. Uh, and they always do that by, uh, you know, controlling the quantity of credit. Okay. You know, control. Yeah. So they always use quantity. You know, the the, the, the lending, uh, the, the the amount of lending to control the economy. Uh, and, and that cycle uh, has not stopped. You know, has not been broken. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, well, uh, the, the the Chinese. The authorities have been very skillful in using these quantitative measures, you know, to control the economy because it was a planned economy in the past, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so far, I mean, the steel works. Uh, uh, it works in the sense that the, the government can control the, uh, you know, the, 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 the credit. Uh, uh, but the problem is uh, that the, when uh, the economy becomes so big, uh, when uh, the productivity uh, is changing, it's growing so fast, uh, uh, the, uh, the distortions which are generated by not using interest rate and uh, exchange rate and also other price mechanisms to adjust the economy, mm-hmm. uh, you, I mean, will, will become more and more serious. Uh, and at a certain point, uh, 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 you know, it's likely we, we, I mean, we, we can see a serious uh, kind of uh, problems and uh, uh, collapse you know, in some uh, sectors, you know, like property sectors. Uh, and I, I, I think uh, uh, eventually people will realize, you know, the, 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 I mean, you, you have to allow uh, price, you know, to adjust. You know, I think you have to allow first to have tolerated inflation, tolerated wage growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, inflation and then once inflation because China the, the, the CPI inflation uh, actually is very low okay. you know it's 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 tightly controlled you know the, the Chinese government trying to uh, provide uh, I mean uh, focus on the food price because food is a major item in the calculation of CPI uh-huh, uh, sure if you have you, if you have plenty of food uh, and then the CPI will be low uh, but other prices will go up, like property, raw materials, you know, those prices will go up. Uh, uh, so I, I guess in the future, basically, the, the, uh, you know, the, uh, I mean, the policy making in China will learn, you know, you, 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 you cannot stop wage growth, you cannot stop inflation, you know, structure inflation, productivity driven inflation. And at that point, I think that uh, there will be more, uh, uh, and more convincing uh, for the policymakers to uh, yeah, consider uh, raise the interest rate. Uh, 
and uh, uh, so I, I think it, this is going to take some time, you know, to, uh, until uh, people realize that uh, if they don't do it, you know, uh, the, the whole economy is going to collapse. Right. Now, does the same apply to uh, exchange rate flexibility? Does the same sort of argument apply in that case? Well, uh, exchange rate uh, uh, is a little bit different, you know, in the sense that, uh, uh, yes, uh, exchange rate flexibility would be good, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, the the exchange rate is a benchmark. you uh, it's a, is a is a price not just for tradables you know for trade but it's also a price for assets yeah. mm-hmm. uh, uh, and the, there's a huge asset bubble you know in China and this is uh, basically uh, generated by uh, the expectation that the RMB is going to appreciate mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and the uh, uh, so a lot of people are investing in R&D assets and uh, selling the U.S. dollar assets to the central bank. Yeah. And uh, those, the Chinese, uh, and also the foreigners. Uh, so what you see is a huge foreign exchange reserve bubble in China. Right. You know, the, the, the central bank of China is taking a lot of dollars. Uh, and then uh, all the other uh, parties. Uh, Chinese and then uh, foreigners are holding R&D assets, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and uh, so so this this is uh, uh, already a problem. And uh, uh, the if you if you change the exchange rate, uh, if you allow the exchange rate to appreciate, then it will encourage people to speculate on R&D assets. Yeah, uh, uh, and then if you appreciate the R&D big enough, uh, then people will actually uh, withdraw their, uh, I mean, will, will, will uh, sell R&D assets and get out of China, you know, uh, and uh, try to get U.S. dollar assets. Right. Uh, so this has already become a, a problem, you know, become a problem uh, in the sense that uh, uh, any exchange rate change uh, it's going to generate a huge redistribution, you know, just like inflation, okay. you know, redistribution. Yeah. So, uh, and the, uh, and the, you see the, the the problem facing the Chinese policymakers, you know, is huge. You know, they, uh, the, uh, if you change interest rate, you have huge problems. If you change exchange rate, you also have huge problems. Right. If you allow inflation to happen, also huge problems, right? So, uh, uh, I mean, so that's why they like uh, uh, inflation rate fixed, uh, interest rate fixed, exchange rate also fixed. Uh, and of course, that, that that's not going to be possible, you know, impossible, right? Uh, and and so, so actually, uh, in my view, you know, the, the best strategy is actually to uh, allow some inflation and also some appreciation uh, uh, and also some increase in interest rate. 
Okay. It's like if you, if you do a little bit of everything, uh, it, it, it's actually going to create a situation people uh, uh, would not bet on extreme kind of situations, you know. For example, if you allow inflation to come out, then people would worry because if inflation overshoots, then the R&D is going to depreciate, right? Right. So, so then, then you want to hold some U.S. dollar. You know, you don't want to hold everything in, in R&D, right? And that will create a, a, a more balanced market, uh, you know, condition, market situation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you uh, do not allow inflation to happen, then everyone, everyone will bet R&D is going to appreciate. You know. So, so it's like if you allow some inflation, then people will worry the R&D will depreciate. Uh -huh. And then if you uh, also allow a lot of productivity growth, you know, then R&D will have tendency to appreciate, right? So, the, so if the true situation exists at the same time, then you have balance. Some people will think uh, you know R&D will appreciate. Some people will think R&D will depreciate. Right. And then the market will be more balanced. Yeah. So, so I think that really that's the problem. You know, you you have to uh, allow uh, all these variables to start to move uh, and uh, uh, move towards a uh, kind of uh, much more rational, much more uh, uh, reasonable you know situation. You know, because you 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 have underlying productivity gains, so that's why you need to have inflation. And if, because you have non-tradable inflation, then you need to raise interest rate. Uh, and because your productivity growing is, uh, growth is so fast, so uh, uh, you know inflation uh, is not enough to uh, you know, offset the productivity growth. Then you need to have uh, have allowed the currency to appreciate. Uh, so if China start to use all these tools uh, to to provide all these flexibilities, then I think uh, the situation will be under control. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't, I don't want to take up any more of your evening, Professor Chow. I, I really appreciate um, all of your insights and certainly your time. Th thank you again so much and have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.